Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Contramundum. I am Andrew Isker and with me is CJ Engel. Hello, CJ. How are you today? Doing well. Thank you. I'm wearing my lumberjack shirt. Uh, yes. In, yeah, in, uh, in honor of the Pacific Northwest. And you are wearing the Southern California outfit. So, yeah. Got... So who's the Minnesotan and who's the Californian here today? Huh? This is uh... this is real. This is real California. Oh, okay. I, yeah. yeah, this is that you're you're wearing fake California, <laughs> cosmopolitan California. Yeah, well, I have my I have my Land Rover parked in the driveway right now. Oh, there you oh. go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, awesome. Well, uh, did you get to catch any of the debate? The GOP also ran debate last night. I didn't catch the main. I saw some clips. Um, looks like a bunch of uh, monkeys in a zoo. Um, like in a, in a, in a worse way than I thought possible. I saw the, you know, the various clips, they're all like fighting and biting and they're making no sense. It was like a kind of like a, a meme clip. I thought it was like a, an SNL thing, uh, you know, making fun of it, but it was the real deal. Oh, and, uh, it's it, atrocious. Yeah. It's, uh, it's hilarious. It's good. It's healthy. It shows like the, the GOP needs to realize that it's a, it's a clown show. It's not a serious political party. It, it totally is. And I mean, yeah, they have it at the, the Ronald Reagan library and every, you know, every commercial break, they're playing clips of Ronald Reagan and, you know, yeah, Pence these guys, about these Reagan guys the have no, time. they have no other strategy. The only, all they can do is like the appeal to Reagan. That's it. That's all they have. It's the uh, appeal to Reagan. Like, it, well, and the appeal to Lincoln. Sometimes they can use the appeal to Lincoln. Um, but even that, you know, Lincoln's getting canceled so they can go to Reagan and that's it. That's, that's the Republican party. That's what it has to stand on. Like this, this most like the central bank high of the 1980s is like, you know, that's all they have. Yeah, uh, yeah. Where they, where they, you know, raise the interest rates in the beginning of the decade and then just, just jack up the credit system uh, after that, and it booms. Like that's that's all they got. Uh, and it, it, it was so sad because like you had this like Univision uh, moderator where English is not her first language and. Mm-hmm. She's asking all of these, and they—they're all left-coded questions like LGBTQ people are being attacked, and what are you going to do to protect them, and blah blah blah. And it's like, what? Like, if is, it, yeah. what, if, if if you had like a legitimate candidate there, and and maybe like DeSantis hardly got any questions. Um, mm-hmm. so like so the DeSantis people listening, you know, I, I sympathize with them with their complaints about the debate because I I think like if he had gotten some of those questions, he would have been like. Why are you asking stuff like that? Like, why are you asking? What are we going to do about mass shootings? And th- and like, and, and uh, there was another question where the Univision lady uh, said, "Well, Ronald Reagan, we're at the Ronald Reagan Library, and he uh, he amnestied all of the illegal immigrants, and so That's are true. you going to do that too?" Yeah. And let's, uh, uh, well, let's talk about that. I mean, yeah, not just yeah. me and you, but like, let's let the GOP talk about that i mean we need to we need to have a, a real conversation about reaganism the myth of reaganism yeah that's the reaganism that we are stuck with today mm-hmm. is the demographic replacement of the people of this country right that's yeah. that's reagan's legacy that's what he did in california your state california mm-hmm. is unrecognizable compared to what it was in the middle of the 20th century i mean it was the paradise it was it was the most concern it was the florida what florida mm-hmm. is now of the entire country, beautiful weather. Everyone wanted to move there and everyone did move there and uh, tons of economic success and output. And now it is 
like homeless, you know, vagabond, you know, poop all over the street uh, state. It's it's a disaster there. And it's like, I mean, yeah, not where you live, but but I mean, overall. No, it is. It's it's crazy. It's awful. Like every time I go out of my little bubble, I'm just reminded about how bad things really are. And um, it is a Democrat led state. But these were policies that have been in place for decades, um, you know, during the Reagan administration. I mean, no fault divorce was, uh, you know, a big thing here with with Reagan. And so, yeah, these yeah, he pioneered it. He did. Like, come on. Like, and uh, all kinds of not the hero, all kinds of is. gun restrictions here in California yeah. uh, originated with Reagan. I mean, he was a Hollywood guy. <laughs> That's yeah. where he came from, you yeah. know. So anyways. Yeah, um, it was bad. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so you know maybe it is fitting that the GOP should be at the Reagan Library, and you know they're still living in these um, these nineteen eighties uh, op ed myths. That's that's kind of the wave that they're still writing. Um, and meanwhile, they're trying to be the anti-Trump, and Trump, the, you know, the spirit behind Trump is really the reaction to the GOP, the establishment yeah. GOP. Uh, yeah. That's what Trump represents, and of course, no one's willing to really take that ride. Maybe. Um, Ramaswamy a little bit is willing to jump on mm-hmm. um, that. He's not, he's not really, uh, he doesn't have that, like that fear complex that the other ones do. You know, he, yeah. he doesn't seem to have like a lot of like well-established consultants guiding his rhetoric and, and framing of things. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not pro Ramaswamy, but like, it, it's obvious that the other people are just, they're just so scared to get attacked by MSNBC or something. Oh, oh yeah. It, it's, I mean, they, they're all robots. Uh, that's, that's just it, including DeSantis, like his, all of his answers are, are clearly workshopped by his consulting agencies. And you know, it's not, you don't get the sense of with any of them, with the exception, the only one that, that like came off well in that was Doug Burgum, the governor of North Dakota or the former governor. I think he's still the governor there. Um, and like he gave you know pretty sensible answers. Like they, they brought up the auto worker strike and things like that. And he's he's the one. Well, why why are things the way they are today? It's it's because of the subsidies. It's because of of the credit system. Um, of you know what the Federal Reserve. I don't even, I don't know if he invoked the Federal Reserve, but he kind of he kind of went in that direction. And it's like, well, yeah, that's right. That's like that's the only like serious policy answer that was given the entire night. It was. It was, um, it was, it was such a joke. I, I, I definitely feel much dumber having listened to most of that debate. I, I, my, my wife had it on and as we were going to bed and I'm like, honey, you just, you got to turn this off. This is, this is too stupid. Like what's, let's watch something intelligent, like two and a half men or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, like it was so dumb. And, uh, and, and it was just out of control. It was just these yipping dogs, you know, the entire time. Mm-hmm. And, and anytime Nikki Haley spoke, I, I just wanted to, uh, I, I wanted to, to do, um, I, I probably can't say it cause this will go online. Yeah. I wanted to, <laughs> Uh, I, I, well, you, you should, I, I just wanted to end it. <laughs> yeah. Tom Woods always says, you know, it makes me want to commit an atrocity. <laughs> yeah. That's, I'm going to, I'm going to steal that line from now on. It was, it, it, it was just so bad. And, yeah. and it, but it, you're like, like you said, it was good because I think people could see that the GOP is completely hopeless. I mean, some of it is like, why aren't they able to find some decent candidate? Well, I think any, anyone like Trump, um, that would rise in in the in the current 
you know, milieu isn't going to as long as he's on the scene. So you're not going to, you're not going to challenge him at this point. So like we think about like Tucker, for example, like that's a guy like, I think he should run for president at some point. Mm-hmm. He's not going to challenge him in 2024, but in 2028, uh, a guy like him or someone that we, that's not even on our radar right now um, did, could did be the you, guy. Uh, we should have talked about this, but did you ever listen to Tucker's speech in Hungary? Um, you I, yes, you, I did. I, I, I listened to portion or clips of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, I listened to it on um, you know, Pete Pete Q was yes, actually, I did. It. I listened yeah. to it on Pete's. Yeah, yeah. Um, man, he is uh, <laughs> he's a spook, <laughs> but he's. He's, he's, a, our spook. he's our spook. He's our <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, he's it's really it's really impressive. And um, you know, I, I wish he would I don't think he has any interest. Maybe he does, maybe he's more patient. Yeah, you know, maybe he's he said maybe he's setting some himself up, but he he could be um, you know, a very viable leader for some sort of you know transformation or restoration in, in, and, know, in the United States. And for a long time, like he's young, he's in his fifties. And but you see, you need someone like that, like, you know, not to say that he's the Protestant Franco, he's the Episcopalian Franco, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but it's funny because, um, you know, Franco, you know, he had deep connections into the Spanish government. You know, he yeah. wasn't just a nobody from outside. You have to have somebody that has, um, clout, you it, know, it has to be an elite. Like uh-huh. this is, this is something, I don't know if we've said it on, on air here. I know we've maybe talked about this off air between you and me. But it has to be an elite defector, right? Yeah. It's not going to be from the ground up. This is how I mean. I've I've actually you know I've been going. Agreed. I've been preaching through Second um, Samuel, and um, and I've I've used like a, a bunch of different commentaries, but the main one that I've used is is Peter Lightheart's, and it's it's tremendous. And the his main point in there when you start in this book, uh, the beginning of the book of Samuel is Hannah's song after you know after she becomes pregnant with with Samuel and the entire song is about the the rulers of of Israel who are totally wicked being cast down and the humble raised up and that's that's the theme of the entire book is these wicked rulers it starts with the high priest and his sons that they're 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 taken out they're cleared out by God uh then then Saul comes in and Saul is the king he's an elite but he's bad. He's taken out and it, and he's taken and replaced by someone in his own court. Mm-hmm. And it's, so it's always, it's top down, right? The, yeah. the, the revolution that occurs in the book of Samuel is, is top down. It is a, a changing out the King and it's changing out someone who, okay, David doesn't start out that way. He starts as this you know, humble shepherd, but he's still in the Royal tribe. He's in a, he's in a noble house, right? That's the thing. Like we think, oh, he's just this sweet, cute little shepherd boy. Um, but he's in, he's in a very wealthy noble house, right? He's in the house of Boaz. And, and so, right. It is, it, it is analogous to our, our situation, really any political situation almost across the board throughout history is the thing that happens is there's a replacement of the, the current elite by someone inside that elite. I mean, you look at Roman history, where do all the, the change, the new emperors come from? It, Mm -hmm. it, it comes from the nobility. Mm-hmm. Right. And it comes from the imperial court. And and so that's that's the same thing here is, you know, I've, I've we have I've, to we have this like Hollywood idea of where revolutions come from. But yeah. like even like the American Revolution was an elite initiative. Yeah. The, the Jacobin Revolution in France was elite initiative. 
you know, the, the Russian revolution was probably closer to something chaotic uh, that came from the ground, from the dirt, but it was financed by Western elites. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you, you can't have this resurgency from the people. That's a myth. No, that, that's not how it, it happened. Now the, the people get behind something mm -hmm. um, that that's obviously absolutely necessary, but it, it, you, you have to have someone from the inside mm -hmm. uh, recognize the, the vulnerability and, and of course, at the same time, you could see that from the other side that um, your current governor is very possibly going to replace um, Biden. Mm -hmm. And you know uh, that I think, guy's a slick operator, man. I think um, I think a coalition uh, effort by like the RFK Jr. and Tucker. I'd like to see that. Yeah, I mean that'd be talking about a, another elite. Yeah, I mean, but that'd be a that'd be a huge coalition. I mean, um, RFK Jr., who has some very serious problems, I think, especially related oh, yeah. to like civil rights and stuff, and abortion, obviously, but civil rights, like more framework type stuff. But I think a coalition with him and Tucker, um, I think, would be interesting. Yeah, that's. I mean, that that's that's. You're probably right there. I mean, I think there has to be some some level of of coordination um among among a faction that's against mm -hmm. the the regime mm -hmm. um but yeah I, I, so i i look at it that way it's like yeah and that, the hard thing is it's like how do you trust people that are somewhat in the halls of power somewhat connected to it mm -hmm. it's it's very difficult right you don't you don't know until you know mm -hmm. right i mean it's the same thing with with trump in 2015 is there are very clear signals that this is an enemy of the the ruling class and the regime i mean when he the, the second that he said where where are we in nato yeah. But the Cold War is over, you know, like that to me, was like, boom, he's this is it. Like he yeah. uh, he is in the, the freak out that happened after that. Um, it became obvious. OK, this is this is our guy. So, I mean, Tucker is you know sending those kind of signals. I think he has to do more in order to to solidify it. Well, what he's doing right now, what he seems to be doing, but like that speech in Hungary where he's um, he's literally counter signaling american diplomats yeah that's what he what he's doing he's communicating with american elites i mean the, he's setting himself up yeah oh yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. when he i mean and, and to give some context if, if people haven't listened to this and i i encourage you to, to listen to that hungary speech mm -hmm. he uh he he's talking about the the current um the the uh current u.s ambassador to hungary uh basically is attacking Hungary and, and the Hungarian government and saying that it's Hungarian it's, people and Hungarian culture. Yeah, yeah. All of it saying that you, you people are backwards and retrograde and you're, you're anti LGBTQ and, and we're going to, we're going to fix you. Yeah. And, and, and Tucker says, that's, that's absolutely insulting. That that's not how, that's not how foreign policy is supposed to be conducted. You don't go to other people's countries and tell them how evil and awful they are. You, you try the point of diplomacy is to persuade them to take your side. Mm -hmm. and, and, and this is just, just hectoring. This is what, this is what empires do. And, and it's like, well, that's exactly yeah. right. So anyway, yeah, that is, um, that is uh, something to keep an eye on uh, going forward. I think. Um, yeah. But I think that the, the point of that is it just, it's a, it's a really strong and clear juxtaposition between moral leadership and just um, whining, you know, just on the yeah. page and just whining and, and little yes. cat clawing. And you know what I mean? It's just so oh, useless yeah. and meaningless. I'd be ashamed to be up there. Like I, I, if I was DeSantis, well, maybe not DeSantis, but like Tim Scott, 
Like delete your delete your candidacy. <laughs> like you don't belong up there. Oh, it was so Chris Christie abysmal. You know, yeah. Do- his Donald Duck line. Oh boy. Uh, yeah. It was. I mean, it. Yeah. All of it is is such a joke. And and and, and so I think you, I think you see it though. I think you see that the way of doing politics for the last twenty or thirty years has come to an end. This you know, regimist Republican candidacy that we've just cycled through every four years. Uh, that's after Trump, it's, it's falling on deaf ears. Like nobody, nobody cares. Like we've, we've gotten some good stuff and some good rhetoric uh, from someone that, that appears to actually care about us and our country that you, you hear these things. And it's like, this is, these are, these are all just corporate candidates right these are not these are not people that that genuinely care about what happens to me and my family especially when you get to the immigration question and they're none of them are questioning legal immigration not not a single one mm-hmm. not a single one of them is saying uh, we should just have a moratorium on this like chris christie is like well we got 6 million vacant jobs and it's like okay, okay cool then these corporations that you represent should pay people more right then they'll be filled it, it, immediately like that's the why do you, you, you have, you have more than 6 million people that are not working. Uh, like, what do you think happened? How, does, how do you think it works? Just, just import people from Haiti to, to come do your jobs. No, no, this is, this is absurd. I mean, that's, that, that's why like, you know, uh, Trump going and talking to the, the auto workers who so many of them are enthusiastically in support of him mm-hmm. is, is such a massive departure from the way of doing things in the GOP um, where they don't care about American workers at at all, and they they haven't for, for you know since the nineties. I mean, they're they're enthusiastically behind NAFTA and all of the destruction of of you know the middle of America. And here's this guy that says, "No, you're you're not getting a fair deal. Uh, the the regime is is mistreating you and sending all of your jobs overseas, and we need to do something about it." And and that that's stuff that that regular people, regular voters. Uh, it, it, it connects with them and the stuff these guys say that, that nobody cares. Yeah. Nobody cares about that uh, at all. So yeah, it, it's just such a, such a stark contrast. Um, but uh, we can shift gears here a little bit. Did you, uh, did you get to listen to any of the uh, no enemies to the right debate that was on, on Twitter? Um, I, you- I really, I really didn't. Um, unfortunately it was a bad time for me, but uh I'm, I, I'd love talking about it. You know, I've participated in those <laughs> conversations before, and I know you got to listen to it. Um, but I mean, your the overall impression that I was getting from uh, my friends whom I trust, and I can outsource my thoughts to them, <laughs> uh, is that you know Charles is uh he's a you know he's very heroic to you know just for someone to have sold their company and he has the funds and he has the ability he has this um, this you know, the savings stock up so that he doesn't have to worry about losing his job and he can actually fight for um, these really right wing principles and he can come yeah. out and defend and introduce these new ideas to so many people. So I think that's great that these conversations are being had. I heard that he crushed it and I heard that um, it was really awkward from local. Is that I don't know why he was participating or he, he's not even really a right winger in a meaningful way, you know, in any way. So yeah, I don't know what he was doing there. But um, it's a good conversation to have. I think we need to be having more of those. Yeah, I I, I, uh, I got to participate, and I didn't get to be on long enough for the whole debate and to to go on and request to ask some questions. 
Uh, but I got to participate in a, a post debate space, which was was almost as big. I mean, there were hundreds of people on that one too. And um, Vocal actually joined. And and the thing that I regret with that one is he's talking about, well, we on the right, we on the right, and all of this. Um, my my friend Gio on on, on Twitter, he uh, he wanted to ask a question before Vocal left of him and say, well. What's the right? How do you determine who is the right? What do you mean by when you say we on the right? Are you a rightist? And what does that mean? Does it mean you vote Republican or or does it mean you know you're not left wing? Or, or, or what does it mean? I, I and I think these guys don't really have an answer for that. Like I don't think they can define rightism. Obviously, Charles can and and, and Nate Fisher can. Um, but these these other guys, you know, Neil and and Wokel, who were the on the other side, they they didn't have, I, I, I don't, I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily consider them, you know, enemies, but I don't consider them, you know, right wing and on our side either. And so it's, it's weird. It's, it's weird to have those guys there. I mean, I almost wish Rufo had been the one and he was the moderator, but I wish he had been the one uh, on the opposing side mm. um, because he is someone I would consider right wing. and. And, and so I'm, I'm, I would be, I don't know, more, more curious to hear his thoughts um, in, in opposition to Netter, even though I don't, I don't, it sounded like he's, you know, he was the moderator because he doesn't have a firm position one way or the other. Um, but it is the, the difficulty there is I think, you know, Wokel and Neil are, are still operating in the neutral world framework where um, you, I, I think the problem, I think the problem with these people and Charles is um, really well read, but I don't think they have a clear concept of the political. I still think yes. they have, they have this confusion between like ethics and morality at a personal level and the role of the sovereign in defending the realm. Yeah. Those are distinct things. Like when, when Schmidt talks about the difference between a public enemy and a private enemy, that's a very significant political difference that I don't think a lot of classical liberal types and even like, um, you know, just like general conservatives in, in America. I don't think they've really digested the full meaning of the political. Um, and I don't think Americans have it in their history. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but I don't think we've ever needed to grapple with the political in the way that European mm. uh, philosophers have had to. And Charles is much more well-read in the European tradition than anyone on the so-called right, the mainstream conservative, yeah. um, the anti-left. I like calling it the anti-left. Yeah. Um, that's, that's probably a good way to, to term it. Oh. Yeah. So, but that's, that's kind of my position is people need to really grapple with the meaning of the political. There is a difference between private action and the action of the sovereign. He has been um, infused with this authority to represent the good of the realm. Not, he doesn't have to restrain himself to, the confines of personal ethics. He doesn't have to turn the other cheek. That's not yeah. the role of the sovereign is to turn the other cheek. That's the role of the individual Christian living in yeah. whatever society, communism, fascism, democracy, the private Christian needs to turn the other cheek. The The sovereign who is tasked with protecting the, the well-being of the realm has to make um, decisions at a transcendent level. And I don't think a lot of uh, people are comfortable with that type of language. No, no, because they, they want... And, and they want to apply individual ethics to mm -hmm. to politics and and 
you 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 can't. I mean, you're dealing. I mean, it's politics is war. I think that's what Christian and, liberalism is, though. It's the attempt yeah. to. This is. I mean, I was a libertarian. Yeah. I know this stuff. Like yeah, this. Me too. This was the yeah. basis of my argument. Is the private morality is the thing that defines the boundaries of political activity. I yeah. I know that. I know that world. And to be have a more political mindset is to reject that that uh, that methodology. Yeah, and and the the irony is like you see this. Um, you see this in the Gospels. You see this in the parables of Jesus, where you know he talks about the um, yeah in in the parable of the talents. Right, he, there's a ruler that leaves and leaves his kingdom in in the hands of these stewards, and they don't they don't think he's coming back, or the one doesn't think he's coming back, so he just goes and hides the money. And there's a there's a coup, and all of these people rise up against him, and that's why the steward le- you know hides the money. And then he returns and puts down the coup and deals with the, the wicked servant. And at the end of it, right, this, this man says, all right, the ruler, bring those people who didn't want me to rule over them and, and slay them before me. And it's like, whoa. And, and Jesus is talking about like, and obviously he's talking about himself, yeah. right. As a King. And, and it's like, well, that doesn't seem very classically liberal to to, <laughs> to do that. But it's like uh, that's that's how politics has always worked throughout human history. Is mm-hmm. is the the ruler has to exercise power and sometimes do it in very brutal ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, we we don't have a, a stomach for that. We we have um, relied on a very comfortable, um, mostly stable political system for three hundred years, and it is coming apart and people don't have the um, they, they don't have the, the mental framework to be able to think about these things. Right. And, and yeah, Charles, Charles does. Um, you don't, and, and during that debate, someone brought up Franco, of course, inevitably mm-hmm. and in the Spanish civil war. And I think it is, it's a very good comparison, good question because you have, you have this enemy Right, when we talk about enemies, you have this enemy who wants to destroy you and, yeah. and wants to wipe you out, wants to – I mean if they could – right? do you think the regime for a second, if they could take every Trump voter in America and just you know, wipe them out and kill them all, mm-hmm. right? would they do it mm-hmm. if they could? Absolutely they would. Yeah. Right? Absolutely they would. I mean do you have any doubts about that at all? And so – Right. If that's the if that's what you're dealing with, I mean you're dealing with something like the Bolsheviks, um, you 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 can't approach it with these like classical this classical liberal framework of well, we just need to follow the constitution and the rule of law and blah 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 and, and make sure we don't have any bad people on our side. It's like, no, you need to have every single person on your side that is willing to fight. Mm-hmm. And and in the context of the, the Spanish Civil War, you had you had all sorts of people on the right. And they're all motivated by defeating the Bolsheviks in their country that want to kill all of them mm-hmm. and kill their families. And you have you have some not very nice people on, on your side as well. And, and you're not saying, oh, we can't. Yeah, and of course, there's always jockeying for power and there's there's internecine conflict that you know, on the right, even, even during the, the midst of the war. But overall, they are they are pursuing uh, the same enemy the same goal 
And you you cannot afford to just be like, ah, well, these people are bad and we find them morally repugnant. And so we're going to sideline them because it's more important that we're virtuous and good people. And it's like, uh, I don't know. I mean, your your options are 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 death or having to put up with people you don't like. Yeah. Right? Uh, like, I think we do it here. You know, the part of the problem is, you know, the the, the uh, people who oppose no enemies to the right. Uh, they're operating in like a very 1950s like consensus where we're all coming together and ha having these like conversations across yeah. the aisle because really we're all on the same team. We're part of the same country. We all love America. Yeah, it's like it's America like, doesn't even exist anymore. What are you talking? About? <laughs> yeah, I mean that that world has completely um, you know gone away. It's it doesn't exist anymore. You know the the liberal moment has faded and we are in a breakdown and we are vying for power. And as Carl Schmidt says, like, this is the dynamics of this power is that it's uh, mutually exclusive. We're not, we can't both stay here. Yeah. One of Someone us is going to win and some yeah. of us is going to lose. Yeah. Um, and the point of no enemies to the right is that um, surviving and living is uh, a better uh, objective than dying. That's yeah. literally what we're saying is yeah. like, you know, we can deal with those people later, but we can't afford to waste political capital and bandwidth and our scarce resources on opposing those that are effectively opposing our enemies. Yeah. You, you know, it, it makes zero sense. And that's that's how the left has gained so much power is it's been able to um, it's been able to use the conservative movement's own willingness to fight itself. Like that's yeah. it's it's done a lot like all the stuff against um you know, Sam Francis and the Chronicles people and Paul Gottfried and, mm -hmm. um, you know, all those Joe Sobrin and all those all those old school traditionalist conservatives were completely axed from the conservative moment. Those were the most affecting, effective sparring partners that the conservative movement had. And they were axed. And now who's going to fight the left? Bill Crystal? You know yeah. what I mean? Like, th yeah. that's all they have. Yeah. He's so, yeah. on the left. Yeah. Like, come on. Yeah. yeah so. Like, uh, it's it's it's. It's 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 so absurd. It's so ridiculous. And you, and you see this like the, our, our enemies, they believe insane, utterly morally repugnant things like, uh, you know, murdering babies right up to the moment of birth. And they believe that that you can you know, remove the genitals of children. That's totally good and fine. And, and, and parents should even be told about it. You know, things yeah. like that. Just insane stuff. And no one. You know, they don't they don't go and say, oh, well, we're going to we're going to excise these people because they're a liability to us because they make us look bad and might cost us elections and so on and so forth. They embrace them. Right. They put them front and center mm -hmm. and they appease them. They keep pushing and pushing and pushing to to make these people happy. And meanwhile, right, our side does the opposite. Yeah. Right. It, it, it appeases our enemies. And and attacks the people that would otherwise push them further to the right, and so yeah, it's it it that has to end. I mean, we have to realize like, the democratic re regime in California is way more danger. Literally, it's a real life danger, a clear and present danger, way more than like some Nazis on 4chan, like yeah. you know, like like obviously or on an overpass in in Florida or something, you know? Yeah, yeah. which are all fake. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, come on, like just ignore this stuff mm -hmm. right that's that's the big thing and, and and i and i wish in terms of like practical stuff maybe they said it and I, I missed it but it's like all you have to do is ignore these people right if you yeah. if you find someone on the right that is saying things you don't like or disagree with uh vehemently 
just ignore them. Yeah. Right. Don't give them, don't, don't, uh, you know, the, take these little embers and blow, you know, give it, give it oxygen for, yeah. and, and, and give it more, t- more attention. Right. That's, that's a strategy as well. It's like, well, what, what that, that guy said, right. In your mentions, he said this thing that's really bad. And it's like, Oh, I, I didn't notice. I didn't see it. Uh, well, you know, like that's all you gotta yeah. do is like, Oh, I don't, I, you, why are you, you, you don't even have to say, Oh, argue like, Oh, I don't agree or whatever. And it's like, no, right. just yeah, don't, it. don't, don't disagree or push back. Like, Oh, I didn't even realize that. Okay. Okay. Cool. I, what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> yeah. What, yeah. What, you know, what about what I said, you know? And yeah. then, and the other thing is you, you, you turn it around. This is what you always have to do. It's like, well, these people are on your side. I mean, even like in the Christian nationalist debate, like, you know, Owen, and these people. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's like, oh, you have these kinnists and you have these people over here. They're so bad, blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, but what what am I saying? Right? What 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 have I said? Yeah. And and then you you attack, right? You don't you don't even give attention to these things that they that they say, the accusations or whatever. You, you attack them. Yeah. And it's say like, what you believe is nuts, right? What you believe is crazy, and here's why. And, and like, that's, that's the strategy. I mean, this is what Trump always did extremely well, not, not perfectly, but he did extremely well is when they attack you and they attack people to your right, people that are on your side or whatever, you just go and attack them. Yeah. Right. Uh, I mean, the, the famous one is like, he's, you know, on the white house lawn around Christmas time. And some reporter asked him, well, Ilhan Omar says you're a racist. (laughs) You know, it's like, who cares? You know, like that's what you do. Yeah, that is what you do. Oh, so and so says you're a racist. Who cares? Like, <laughs> I don't care. Why do, why do I care what what she thinks? Yeah, right. She should even be in this country. Get her out of here, right? <laughs> like, that's yeah. that is that's the attitude you have to have. And and so like the thing with Owen, it's like I don't I don't Owen Strayed thinks that I'm a racist because I don't want infinity immigration. Well, who cares, right? He he. Yeah, he he has problems of his own, right? He has uh, he has serious doctrinal uh, deficiencies of his own. So let's let's talk about that. Uh, no, no, that's that. Yeah, you're not allowed to do that. But anyway, yeah, that that I think I think people are starting to get it though. And and anytime these conversations come up, um, you see that there's a, a ton more enthusiasm for uh, for what Charles is saying. And I mean, some of it is just that Charles is such a, a, a brilliant, well-read articulate, uh, man that, um, and, and he's very reasonable, very, um, he, he's not super pugnacious though. He can be sometimes, uh, but he's he just very low key and will explain what he thinks in a, in a digestible way mm-hmm. and very persuasive very very persuasive and and has an answer to every objection that they throw at him too mm-hmm. that's 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 part of it that is this is stuff that is very well thought out and um and so yeah i, I think that people are beginning to you know, people see the time of day and so they're beginning to say okay we need to have better answers was it um better strategies was it congenial at the end? Was was Neil like? I, I, mean, I did didn't it... get to. I didn't get to hear the end. I, okay. I, had, to, I had to go to a meeting, and so uh, I don't know. I have to go back and listen to the, okay. the, the final portion of it. But I, I mean, too. it seemed pretty congenial. You know, it wasn't. It wasn't very acrimonious uh, for from what I heard. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I mean, I, it's it's hard to get in a fight with Charles and Nate. I mean, they're great guys. So. Yeah. 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 yeah exactly. And 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 
you know, to, to their credit, like Neil and, and Wokel are not, you know, super acrimonious guys, at least, you know, in person or at least uh, Neil's know, speaking. I got problems with Neil, but he's a, he's pretty level-headed. I don't see him yeah. causing problems or anything. So no, no, he's, he's, he is very, um, yeah, he's, he is not, he doesn't get too wound up. Yeah. Uh, we'll put it that way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, it was good. So I would, I would encourage people to listen to that as well. And I, I hope they do more things like this and maybe. Get yeah. Those are way more effective than like watching presidential debates. Or oh yeah. I mean, uh, I know I felt smarter listening to Charles, uh, than yeah. I did, uh, with the debate for sure. Yeah. Um, but, uh, uh I want to yep. talk about that article, the um, the Anton article. Oh yeah, we have you know we, we need to we'll we'll link this too. Uh, yeah. I didn't realize I didn't realize this was from twenty twenty one. Why why is this? Uh, I may have read this before actually. I, yeah, I, I read it back in in December of twenty twenty one. So this is this is pre J six too. Right, um, right. Oh uh, no 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 it's not. Um, pardon me. This is twenty twenty one. That would have been December twenty twenty. So this is this is post J six um for this for a claremont guy it's two years um, ago it's pretty it's pretty noble for for a claremont guy to to um, be talking about how obvious the great great replacement is two years ago yes like yes. that's that's pretty good you know well, and that was i mean he he wrote you know the flight 93 election article that was very you know was a big boost uh, for mm -hmm. trump i never read that yeah and and so I mean and of course he's talking about a ma major point is immigration and demographic replacement and things like that. So he's he's talked about this for a while, but I mean he lays it out very clearly here. And so I think this is um, revisiting this article. It, it popped up uh, because it was on. I, I listened to it on on YouTube. Mm -hmm. uh, someone had a, a transcript of it that that uh, was read out. And so I'm like, oh yeah, I, I forgot about this. This was this is very prescient, and it, it's worth revisiting two two years later. Mm -hmm. Because I don't think, I don't think much is. If anything has changed, it's that um, it, it's become much more clear how right he is. The the entire the entire thing is framed like, you know, he's kind of fluctuating between imminent collapse and long drawn out decline. Right? Yeah, that, that's yeah. kind of he teases that out at the beginning, and then his conclusion is that could go either way. And uh, I I go back and forth myself. I do too. And, and it, it's for the same reasons. And so I, I think it's worth, it's worth revisiting. And so we'll do a little, we'll do a little book report here. And so I'll, I'll read it and then pause uh, for CJ to, to give his analysis. Um, so it's, this is entitled unprecedented by Michael Anton um, on the novelty of our cultural predicament. Uh, the theme is Western civilization at the crossroads. Uh, far be it from me to doubt that the West is on the precipice of something enormous. But crossroads implies a map. Do we have one? Is a piece of paper showing the way forward, whether predictive or hopeful, even possible? I've noticed that a lot of people, more or less on my side, or who see things basically as I do, are extremely confident that they know what is going to happen next. Their certainty is entirely independent of what they think they know. Some believe that the end, the collapse of present ruling arrangements, is imminent, if not tomorrow or next week, then soon within a year or five. Others, others assert that the present regime is stable and not only can but will last for decades or even centuries. Some insist that re the regime will fall of its own incompetence. Others that its end will require an external push, which some are certain will come and others are equally sure will not. When I've thought about this... I have been in some part inclined to the opinion that the present arrangements are unstable and may be approaching their end. 
Yet in thinking it through further, I am forced to admit that our times are marked by so many unprecedented trends and events that making predictions seems foolhardy. But before going into those differences, let's first consider the one historical parallel that all sides of this debate draw on for precedent, the rise, peak, decline, and fall of Rome. At first glance, the two cases seem to have a lot in common. Not only was the United States founded by men educated in the classics who took Roman pseudonyms and named the government's top legislative body after Rome's, and not only did these founders revive republicanism after centuries of abeyance following the transformation of the Roman Republic into an empire, but our country's history itself seems to attract Rome's, if not precisely, then certainly thematically. Both Rome and America were founded by kings, or in our case, under the auspices of a king. In both instances, the descendants of those kings ruled in ways their subjects found intolerable and were overthrown. Both peoples then established a mixed Republican form of government with monarchical, uh, monarchical, aristocratic, and popular elements. Both of those governments were at first weighed toward the aristocratic elements, but gradually, owing in part to popular discontent and strife, became more balanced and eventually biased toward the popular element. Here, hold on, real, real quick. Um, I just I don't think I don't think the cause of its um, transitioning to more popular was a result of these this grassroots popular discontentment. No, no. I think I think that's a very Straussian reading of things. You know. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I would disagree with him too. On, I don't. On, I don't know yeah. enough about Rome, but I suspect you know just because as, as someone who's much more inclined to elite theory, I think all these things are just rationalizations for power shifts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Among among the elites. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but we'll let him we'll let him continue because I yeah yeah, yeah. It's still very good. Um let's see where were we? Um both societies fought constant wars, self-justified as defensive, but more often than not expansionist. Both rapidly conquered what we might call their immediate neighborhoods, the Italian peninsula and major Mediterranean islands, the North American continent, respectively. And then went on to win major wars against competing superpowers in the process of becoming world-bestriding hegemons. Indeed, we may say that no other power in history, save for perhaps the British Empire, acquired such extensive spheres of influence and so dominated their respective eras for so long. If other empires held more territory or perhaps technically lasted longer, none exerted nearly as much enduring influence on the rest of the world. Um, so one of the reasons I think that this... Uh, has come up or why, why it came to my attention is because of the, um, you know, the TikTok and Instagram, you know, trend recently of, of women asking their, their guys about how often they think about the Roman empire and being surprised <laughs> that nearly all men um, think about it every day. Uh, <laughs> and so, so I think that's, that's part of it. And, and, and of course you had that video of the guy who was like, you know, some hillbilly, you know, outside his, you know, uh, shack, uh, in a lawn chair and his wife is asking him about it. And he gives, you know, actually a pretty, uh, pretty profound answer. You know, he understands, you know, Panem and Circusum and, 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 and all of those things. And he's like, well, that's what's happening here today. And, and, uh, and so, and, and despite the fact, I mean, it's crazy because, and I, I was remarking about this with some friends. Uh, we didn't learn anything in school, in public school, about ancient Rome, ancient Greece, um, the, the history of the Roman Empire, any of it. We all of it is stuff that people have acquired from watching, you know, Gladiator or, or HBO's Rome, or you know, you know, sometimes reading books 
about it. Like that's, that's where people get it from, right? Mm -hmm. It's, 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 it's an interesting phenomenon that, uh, that men care about the Roman empire, but uh, I digress. We, we can go back to, uh, to Anton here, uh, the Roman case. In Rome's case, the government formally made the transition from republic to empire after a long expansion that bloated the treasury, increased the size and power of the military, concentrated wealth in the hands of a few who controlled not just the economy, but the government, and impoverished ordinary citizens. While much of that may sound familiar, much is different, making the analogy, like all such historical comparisons, inexact. Rome conquered and directly administered territory throughout the entire Mediterranean basin and over most of the then-known world. America's empire, by contrast, is a quasi-metaphoric, is quasi-metaphoric, or at the very least, indirect. The only external territories of any consequence it controls are Puerto Rico and Guam. Then there are all the differences in religion, philosophy, society, economics, technology, and so on, far too numerous to list. One might also ask, where is our bloated treasury? America has yet uh, formally to transform, if it ever will, from a republic to an empire. Yet in all important respects, our country is no longer a, a republic, much less a democracy, but rather a kind of hybrid corporate administrative oligarchy. Um, we could say a managerial state. Um, the lack of formal transition causes some to speculate that America is in the late Republican stage with the Republic, it is alleged or hoped, soon to fall to a Caesar. Those who assert that the transition, however, formal in its appearance has already happened are more likely to place America in the late imperial stage, i.e. much closer to total collapse and replacement by an entirely new order. Um, I yeah. would, I would, I would say the latter, Me you know, too. we, yeah. we had our Caesar or we had several Caesars, um, you know, both Lincoln and FDR, you, we could, you know, they didn't formally declare themselves emperor, uh, but FDR was president for life. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so, like uh, you didn't you didn't leave any offspring to take over you know after him uh but we he he left uh spiritual ones um so no we yeah. we have we've had our caesar we are mm -hmm. we are an empire absolutely yeah so this it is just, late imperial it's just you know our version of it is much more farcical you know in it oh yeah it's uh it's, it's much more lame it would it would be <laughs> as if um as if Julius Caesar and Octavian and, and all those that followed them retained the title of president and um, retained all of the trappings of Republican Rome. I mean, they, they kind of did actually. Um, and it was kind of this, this uh, facade yeah. that, that no one actually, you know, gave any credence to. This is um, like one of the best essays. Um, I think it was in the thirties by Garrett Garrett or whatever. Mm -hmm. however yeah, that's, that's right. He called it revolution within the form. He said the revolution already happened. We are, we just had it. It just happened, and it, they kept all the labels. They kept all the you know the uh, the titles, yeah. uh, everything. Yeah. All all the veil of things stayed the same, but the revolution took place within the form. Um, yeah, and that's what the that's what, that was. That's the meaning of the managerial revolution is Absolutely. the transition from a republic to an empire. That's our version of it. Yeah, we just people we we have we have a much stronger propaganda regime that keeps right. people locked into the forms right. and, and they don't see it. Like they still think that their seventh grade civics teacher who show, had them watch schoolhouse rock, you know, how a bill becomes a law. Like that's, that's our government. And, and, and <laughs> yeah. so they, yeah, people, people don't get it because they've, they've spent billions of dollars to make sure that they don't get it. Mm -hmm. So uh, let's, let's continue on uh, all such speculations presuppose the truth of the classical theory known as the cycle of regimes, just as Rome was born, grew, matured, 
peaked, declined, and eventually fell, so will and must America. Cycle theory predicts that every more or less good regime, whether monarchy, aristocracy, or democracy, falls when it inevitably becomes overbearing and odious. Thus do monarchies degenerate into tyrannies, which are replaced by aristocracies that decay into oligarchies, which are overthrown by democracies that descend into mob rule and even anarchy. In that case, we should expect our present oligarchies sooner or later to give way to democracy. <laughs> I don't think so. Um, while that possibility cannot be dismissed out of hand, the prospect seems laughable. I agree, Mr. Anton. Uh, if there is to be, as cycle theory predicts, a popular revolt against our corrupt oligarchy, it would seem much more likely to be led by a charismatic, centralizing figure who ascends to leadership of the popular party and then installs himself as the head of government, in other words, Caesarism. And even that would depend on a Caesar of sufficient talent and institutional support, as well as a sufficient level of spirit and virtue in the people, and on much else besides. So you look at that, like, well, again, we already had that. We already had that in the 1930s. Mm -hmm. um, we already had our Caesar. Uh, more fundamentally... Classic cycle theory presupposes an ethnically, linguistically, and religiously unified people. Indeed, in his politics, Aristotle says that dissimilarity of stock is conducive to factional conflict, i.e. ethnic differences in and of themselves, irrespective of disagreements over regime form, typically few versus many, can drive revolution. Aristotle seems to admit the possibility of assimilation. Dissimilarity, he says, leads to conflict until a cooperative spirit develops. But he cites no examples forcing one to wonder how likely it is for this theoretical possibility to be actualized in the real world. It seems instead that the fundamental conflict between the few and the many emerges only when more, the more fundamental conflict between differing peoples is absent. Where it is not, the few and the many alike rally to their fellow ethnics. Ethnicity itself, rather than class, is their prime motivator. Uh, Multi-ethnic polities are hardly unknown to history. Of these, Aristotle gives several examples, all of which ended up fighting civil wars along ethnic lines. The most common, one may say, only way that multi-ethnic societies have been successfully governed is centrally, from the top, by some form of one-man rule, whether monarchical, Caesarist, or tyrannical. This ultimately is how Rome solved the problem of admitting so many foreigners to citizenship, to say nothing of its far-flung conquest of peoples whom it, it never made citizens. In more recent times, one may think of the Austro-Hungarian Empire and Tito's Yugoslavia. So, like as, as we enter this this question of ethnicity um, that that Anton brings up, you know, I, I I'm thinking about this essay and when I when I listened to it again, you know, this week, I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking about it in the context of the last week with with G3 and Owen Strain's LARP and all of the you know, the anti-Christian nationalists and how they say. God doesn't just love a white church in America. He loves a global church. And, and this is coming under attack from many corners. Like, like reading this, right? And, and, and imagine, you know, imagine Owen Strayan or these other people like him. Imagine them, you know, Scott Annual and all, all these guys. Imagine them reading this article by Anton, especially what he gets into here. Right. Mm -hmm. So keep that in the back of your head as, as we're reading this and what, what he just said about Aristotle and the point that that ethnic conflict, ethnic conflict is real. Like um, Western people. And this is a point that Wolf brings up in his book that Western people, you know, Europeans and Americans, we have 
we have this universalizing tendency where we think that everybody in the world thinks like we do and right. doesn't care about ethnicity at all. Right. But the reality is right. everybody but Western people really, 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 really cares about ethnicity. Like that's their yeah. top priority is their people and they know who their people are. Right. Yeah, you, I mean, in my state, it's, it's natural to, yeah, it, you know, to, to, to protect those who come from the same stock as you. Yeah. In my state, yeah. we have 80 to 120,000 Somalis in my state and their first priority is not what's good for America. Mm -hmm. Right. Their first priority isn't even what's good for them personally. Their first priority is what is good for my, my people. people. Right. Right. And, and people are like, well, they need to assimilate or whatever. And it's like, well, yeah, okay, they do, but that's not that like that's not so easy to get them to assimilate to you know Anglo-Saxon you know political heritage and and abstract thinking about rights and and things like like that's not that's not so simple, especially when you have this this um, tribal mindset. Yeah, this I, is I, this is works. this is why like the Marxists, you know, in order to solve the classic economic problems of, of uh, Marxism, they came up with the new socialist man. Like it was this yeah. thing that they needed to massage men into. And only if they became this new breed of this new race, could they actually have a socialist society? It's the same thing with liberalism. We're trying yeah. to reteach men to deny their natural and tribal instincts and saying, well, liberalism could work if these people would just assimilate. Liberalism yeah. could work if these people would deny their tribal heritage and just realize they're individuals. They're all blank slates, and they can all come together along these, um, you know, these yeah. uh, these abstract lines. It's the same thing. You're yeah. you're not. You're, it's it's the anti-realist. It's the idealist vision of politics where you have to deny uh, humanity and its own instincts, and you have to reteach them and recoach them, and have this like regime of social engineering in order for the system to work. That's why it never works. Yeah. And they don't, it doesn't work mm -hmm. at all. Like people, people have, they have eth ethnic solidarity, right? That's, that's a reality of human nature and you're, you're not going to mm -hmm. beat them over to the head to get them to stop thinking that way. Right. Mm -hmm. It's, it's not going to work. And, and that's the point that Aristotle makes That's the point that Anton is making here. Uh, so he continues on. So yeah, keep that in the back of your head. Well, well, while we're reading this America today, consider now the contemporary United States of America. At first glance, it seems to belie Aristotle's implied assertion that regime ending ethnic conflict is unavoidable whenever more than one group lives under the same government. Americans pride themselves and their country on their exceptional track record of assimilating peoples from all over the world. Yet before we congratulate ourselves over much, let us reflect first on the fact that the United States has not merely abandoned, but utterly repudiated the traditional understanding of assimilation, which is now denounced by all elite opinion as racist and evil. Not only does no American institution encourage, much less demand, assimilation, they all foment the opposite. Immigrants to America are exhorted to embrace their native cultures and taught that the country to which they've chosen to immigrate is the worst in the world. In, the, in world history, whose people and institutions are intent on harming them, and that their own cultures are infinitely superior. In this respect, one, one supposes immigrants are encouraged to assimilate to the anti-Americanism of the average Oberlin professor. Yeah, I, I've made this point too. Like, it's not just that they're assimilating to this ridiculous ideology, but they're also assimilating to the new consumerism. Yeah. You know, like... <laughs> 
that's oh, yeah yeah you can i mean you can see i i have not assimilated to what they expect us to assimilate no. to no they they want us to and i haven't and and many many of the people we used know, to call this being unreconstructed <laughs> Yes. Yes. And it, and it, it, it's, it's absolutely true. Like you see this, I remember uh, talking to some friends when um, Ilhan Omar was running in 2018 for the first time here. And on her, her like pin tweet on her Twitter profile is that America is the most racist, misogynistic, um, you know, bigoted country in world history. And I, I remember reading that thinking, then why are you here? Right. Why are you here? You, you came here in the nineties as a little kid, because your family was going to be murdered because it was part of the communist ruling regime that was overthrown. That's why you came here and you've lived at our expense for everything, your housing, your food, your education, your, your medical care, all of it for your entire life we paid for. And you hate us and you hate our country. And now you want to rule over us. This is insane. This is insane. But that's, that's like, it, it, she isn't some outlier. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the thing. Like she isn't some outlier of like, Oh, only, only this one little radical that somehow made her way into Congress uh, thinks this way. That that's, that is the, the consensus. That's the median opinion that her people have of our country. And, yeah. and so and, and like they've been, and this has been encouraged her entire time growing up in, in, in school and in high school and college. This has been encouraged. This has been fostered in her. Yes, go this direction. This is this is the right thing to say to the point where she she's uh, entered the halls of power to do this. Um, and so that that is this is absolutely dead on accurate. And so you think about that, or you think about that, and you think of uh, since Joe Biden took office, ten million that they admit mm-hmm. uh, there have been ten million illegal immigrants that have come into the country, which is larger than the population of my entire state. Mm-hmm. and 10 million. And so do they think like, you know, do, do they think like the person that says, oh, you know, like, like the Cuban immigrant in, in, in like the, the eighties, you know, uh, building a, building a makeshift raft to float to Florida. That's like, I just can't wait to get, be free of communism and, and have a good life and, and get to this free country. Do they think like that person right. or do they think like Ilhan Omar? Right. Who are they more likely to think like and believe like and who are they more likely to encourage to be like? Yeah. Right. Um, it's it's the latter. Of course, it's the latter. And so and, and you think about like just this entire conversation. Right. Imagine having this conversation with 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 Owen Strayan and, and Scott Annual uh, about everything we just talked about, <laughs> everything I just said. Right. Yeah. They would think they would think that I'm evil for making this point. It's, and, and, and what would they say to this? It's like, well, they're coming here. Um, and that gives us an opportunity to preach the gospel to them, right? That's, that would be what they would pivot to. Like, this gives us an opportunity to preach. The, isn't it great that they're coming here so we could preach the gospel to them? And it's like, no, they're not going to listen to the gospel. We have a hard enough time, right? Keeping our own people inside the church, right? Mm-hmm. Keeping, keeping Christians, you know, outside of trash world. And you think that these people who have every incentive to hate our country and hate us, are going to be persuaded to believe in Jesus and start loving America. Yeah. Right. No, no. You, is, you it, it's a very, it's, it's a very enlightenment instinct, you know, that all these individuals, all, all they need to do is just have this ideological shift. They're all blank yeah. slates. They don't have any yeah. of these, um, you know, like they don't have any of these sentimental instincts or uh, anything like that. We, all we have to do is just reteach them. 
you know, and they're totally going to be open to it. it. Like it just, it makes no sense. And it's politically destructive as Anton is demonstrating here. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's, let's continue on. Um, <clears throat> but uh, be that as it may, no nation in recorded history has ever willingly opened its doors to millions of immigrants only to insist that they must never adapt to the traditional ways of their new country. Indeed, insisting that they forever remain as foreign as the day they arrived. Similarly, no country in recorded history has ever welcomed millions with the message that their new country, along with its existing citizens, are inherently evil and out to get them. Second, assimilation works best among peoples with some common underlying similarity, whether political, linguistic, ethnic, religious, or cultural. Proverbially a combination of all these. Its effectiveness declines as the differences among the disparate uh, in peoples increase. Historically, the closer... In the above categories, an immigrant group was to founding stock Americans, the more quickly and smoothly its members assimilated. That makes sense. Uh, American immigration policy and practice has drifted steadily away from prioritizing this practice. In particular, since the passage of the 1965 Immigration Act and the de facto since the 1970s, at least, non-enforcement of America's borders and immigration laws, newcomers to America have become more and more distant, not just from existing Americans, but from one another. America now takes in and has been importing for more than 50 years people from every part of the globe, of every faith, speaking every language. This, too, has never happened before in world history. Third is the size of the wave. Precise numbers are hard to come by, but if we count immigrants legal and illegal, plus all their direct descendants, then something like a hundred million newcomers has arrived in America since 1965. Only 14 countries today have total populations exceeding that figure. In 1965, there were just under 200 million Americans. Today, it is estimated that, there, that 333 million live within our borders. At least two-thirds of that growth has been immigrant-driven. This large a migration wave in so short a time to one country from so many different sources has also never happened before in human history. Need a respectable source to vouch for that here's bill clinton in 1998 this is really good yeah i won't do the voice uh <laughs> but now we are being tested again by a new wave of immigration larger than any in a century far more diverse than any in our history each year nearly a million people come legally to america today nearly one in ten people in america was born in another country one in five school children are from immigrant families Today, largely because of immigration, there is no majority race in Hawaii or Houston or New York City. Within five years, there will be no majority race in our largest state, California. Can confirm. Uh, in a little more than 50 years, there will be no majority race in the United States. Applause. No other nation in history has gone through demographic change of this magnitude in so short a time. That's Note the applause. Theory. Yeah, apparently it is. It's a public speech, but it's conspiracy theory. It's not happening. Uh, note the applause. The venue of the above speech was a university commencement. A sitting president addressing freshly minted college graduates and their parents, i.e. the elite, speaking to the elite. Demographic decline was literally applauded. And this is only one example. Mere months ago when the census... Uh, announced that for the first time in American history, the white population has declined in absolute numbers. The Tonight Show's audience cheered. 
No native-born population of any country has literally has ever literally cheered its own dispossession. Yeah, I um, it's 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 fun to like be right about this kind of stuff, but like this is this is really sobering. I mean, the things that we're up against and the things that we've experienced over the last several decades, um, you know, as Andrew's oh, yeah. talking about here, countries don't survive that. And what does it mean to not survive? Like, what does it mean to lose your homeland to a complete dispossession effort endorsed yeah. and uh, and carried about by your own leadership? This is yeah. like serious stuff and it's really sobering and um <clears throat> you know he's, it's, he's it's, ready. it's totally. amazing that people can just joke about this. This is this is not yeah. a joke. This is this is world historical change. All of our freedoms, all of our way of life are literally thrown into the trash can because of this uh ethnic uh transformation. Yeah, and and people don't want to I mean even today like to to even talk about it. Right to even say that no, like demographic replacement is an is an active priority of the regime, right? Even to say that gets you branded as a racist. It gets you branded as 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 a conspiracy theorist and a crank. And you have all of these elite sources celebrating it, talking about how this is the plan, this is what they want, and and it yeah it it is yeah I, I don't want to be right about this. I wish I could be wrong, but there's there's no conceivable way that I could be wrong because it's so mm. obvious. And you you have to deal. I mean, it's forcing us to deal with these issues that people don't want to deal with. They mm -hmm. think that they 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 think that. All right. Well, the post-war liberal moral consensus on ethnicity and race and all of these things. Right. That must be upheld at all costs. Right. When we talk about like earlier, when we talk about Netter. Right. That's the big thing is who do they consider morally repugnant? Anyone who differs from the post-war liberal consensus on ethnicity and race and all, all of those issues, right? Mm -hmm. Anyone who says that we're being demographically replaced in our own country, not just us, like all of Western Europe too, right? Same thing, right? What, <clears throat> what are you supposed to think about that? I mean, the whole Anglosphere, Australia too, like that's, that's a huge thing there. Mm -hmm. All of these countries, this is what is happening. And you have to tell the truth. You have to say, this is not okay. This is not right. This is... This, this is the planned destruction of the country, and, and all of our countries. And it, you're you're exactly right. World historic is exactly exactly right. And and Anton, I think, makes it very very clear that it is, um, it it is absolutely unprecedented, mm -hmm. right? There is there is no historical analog for this at all. Even Rome, right? When the Goths are invading, they still treated it like an invasion, right. but they still recognize exactly. this is their invasion, right? Yeah. Uh, here we just think, well, these are just um Americans that haven't quite got citizenship yet. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh it's like, no, no, that, that's not it at all. Um, so the next part is the is, is where it gets um gets wild. Uh that can which that which cannot be said is are you okay said. reading or do you want me to read for a while? <laughs> do you do you have it up? Yeah, I can read for a little bit. You go ahead. Yeah, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get something to drink. Okay. <clears throat> the Great Replacement is happening, not just in America, but throughout the West. Elites both deny and affirm it. When they write op-eds in the New York Times entitled, We Can Replace Them, That's a Good Thing, and the phenomenon under discussion is absolutely right and just. When you notice and express the mildest wish not to be replaced, it's a racist conspiracy theory that you are evil for even mentioning. 
your evil being further proof that you deserve to be replaced. They get to say it. You're acquired not merely to pretend that you didn't hear it, but also to insist that they never said it. No majority stock in any nation has ever deliberately sought its own replacement, much less insisted that those who might have misgivings lie to themselves that it's not happening. The Great Replacement is not just happening. Under the Biden-Harris regime, it is accelerating. Among the few promises Biden has kept are those not to build a single new inch of the border wall or to enforce immigration laws. As a result, illegal migrants are pouring across the southern border at an unprecedented rate. The ridiculous uh, former practice of catch and release, catch an illegal immigrant, release him on American soil, has been replaced by catch and bus or even catch and airlift. The U.S. government places illegal border crossers on buses and planes and distributes. This is so funny, but let me finish this sentence. Distributes yeah, them throughout gonna, the Yeah, I'm going to say the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> Unannounced, often followed by official denials. I think we're both referring to Abbott, right? He's trying to own the libs yeah. by busting all these illegals and yeah, into New York, you know, to to show yeah. them let let them oh. have a taste of their own medicine. It's like you're the you're the you're the chief distributor. Like that's the function that you're playing is you're running the distribution network. And yeah. I think they or know them. what's going on, but they're they're doing yeah. this under the guise of showing that the Democrats are the real racist and they have to taste yeah. their own medicine. It's like you're literally participating. Close the border back across the border. Exactly. Oh, well, we can't do that. The federal government will let us make them stop you. Yeah. Like make them exactly. You take the 101st airborne down to Texas and point guns and say, you're not taking these guys back to Mexico. Right. Put that on TV. Yes. Right. Force the issue. Force the issue. Make them stop you. It's an emergency. And yes. Yeah. That has DeSantis hasn't even done anything about it either. He's other than flying them to Martha's Vineyard or whatever, and it's yeah. Like, that's that's the district. That's what they want. <laughs> they want yeah, they no. want to spread this around. You know, build build a big giant. If you can't, if they're not going to let you put them, you know, back over, you know, out of out of the country, then build a big giant tent city with a thirty foot wall, mm-hmm. and just keep them there forever. Yeah. yeah, right. That's what you should do. Mm-hmm. Right, indefinite detainment. Right, if you can't send them back, that's the only other option. Right, yep. you have to do something to to make them not want to be here. Mm-hmm. Right, to make them not come here. Right, mm-hmm. that's that you have to deter it. There has to be a deterrent. And if you don't have the will to send troops down to the border, right, um, then you got to do something. I mean, I guess Abbott has done that. He's like called up some of the Texas National Guard, things like that, but not not nearly enough. I mean, you see this too. It's a I mean, war. The, you have to treat it like a war. Yeah. And these videos, the, the videos that have come out recently, like they have, they're down there by the wall and you got the border patrol there and they're waving them in like the cops on January 6th, mm-hmm. right? They're just, come on in guys. Here you go. Uh, like that's, it, it, that's what's going on. Like they're facilitating the invasion of the country. Mm-hmm. And I, I posted about this, you know, a, a while ago uh, that the United States constitution one of the one of the guarantee and you'll go back to the constitution one of the guarantees of the US constitution is that the federal government that it owes to the states right this is part of the compact right mm-hmm. this is what we give you and, and for you joining the union is we will protect you from foreign invasion mm-hmm. and the united states federal government is not doing that so no, what does it's... that mean for the constitution what what does that mean yeah. right what is what is it is it still enforced then 
if they're violating that, no, it's not. So like when, when Joe Biden sends the Marines down to Texas to stop them from shipping the migrants back, that's all you just hold that up and say, they keep this end of the bargain, right? Take that right <laughs> to the Supreme court, take the, the freshly off of his, um, off of his impeachment trial, Ken Paxton, take him right to the Supreme court and say, they're not abiding by the constitution. We have to take matters into our own hand. It's an emergency situation. We're being invaded. Mm -hmm. And then, and then they could rule on it. And even, even then, if they say, no, you gotta, you gotta let the Biden regime do what they want. Then you say, well, we tried constitution yeah. over, you know, we're going to do made their anyway. decision. How many, they've made their decision. Let them enforce it. Yeah. How many divisions does the Supreme court have? Right. That's, that's what you got to say. If you're the governor of Texas, um, a good time. So it's any, a good time to, it's a good time to get those lawsuits in front of the Supreme court. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, it is. All right. Uh, go for like five more minutes. On. Yeah. Yeah. Five we'll have more... to put a pin in it. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Naturally, none of these people is vetted in any way. Not for COVID, which has the rest of us in semi-permanent lockdown, not, nor for criminal records or anything else. Couple this with the regime's policy to settle throughout the middle Amer throughout middle America as many unvetted Afghans as possible, some of whom are likely terrorists, several of whom have already committed sex crimes, and it is fair to describe current practice as demographic warfare. The concept is not exactly new. Tyrants have been known from time immemorial to move populations around so as to hold conquests more securely. What's unprecedented is a regime importing foreigners to harm its own people. The question of immigration is inseparable from that of race. Critical race theory, much in the news lately, is but the latest uh, iteration of intellectual and academic anti-whiteness that has been central to leftist ideology since the mid-1960s. <clears throat> The earth specimen of Susan Sontag's 1967 belch that the white race is the cancer of human history. <clears throat> Examples are so numerous today that cataloging them would uh, all would be a full-time job for an entire think tank, but a pointless one, since the left will, in the same breath, deny and affirm their own words quoted back to them. We didn't say that, and it's good that we did. Many whites apparently believe they deserve to be replaced because their race makes them uniquely and irredeemably evil. While cultural self-loathing is hardly unknown to history, I know of none so explicitly race-based or widespread or so eager to pursue self-abnegation all the way to the end. This hatred of the core stock of the nation by other members of the same stock also appears to be unprecedented. Examples can be found of a new elite rising to preeminence above an older one, which it then displaces with prejudice. But of a ruling class coming to despise its own, broadly speaking, ethnic group and seeking ways to rob their fellow co-ethnics of power, standing and influence, I can't think of any other such cases. Last paragraph here. The matter becomes even more complicated when one reflects that this is mostly an intra-white civil war. One group of whites pronounces the entire white race evil, seeks policies to hurt it, but somehow exempts itself. So far, these upper caste whites have found ways to protect their own privilege, but haven't developed consistent rhetoric to defend that privilege. They appear to believe that no matter how much anti-white poison they vomit or how many destructive policies they enact, none will ever blow back on them. In particular, they seem to believe that the allies in whom they stir up anti-white hatred will never turn and bite them. At least, they appear not to have seriously considered the possibility. This situation, too, 
is unprecedented. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. It is. It is. It. Yeah. It's, it is crazy. You know, you often like, I think Paul Gottfried brings us up. Like when are the, you know, the white elites going to notice that they're going to be on the other end of the stick, you know, very shortly. Well, that's the thing. Like you have that, you know, that Apple commercial where Tim Cook has, you know, um, Mother Earth, and it's embodied by this, you know, very obese black woman, and, uh, and <laughs> yeah. it's just sitting and listening to her and everything. And then, like the next week, you have the Apple Store in Philadelphia totally looted, like every everything stolen out of there. But it's like, mm-hmm. well, that doesn't affect them. They just get it, you know, an insurance claim or whatever. You know, it doesn't. It, it's like, no, when his own, you know, mansion gets raided and he gets bludgeoned, like then maybe yeah. they'll they'll feel it, right? That's yeah. that is. But it's far away. Like they don't. They're not going to. I wonder if they. Uh, like, I wonder if they think they can contain it or something. They think that you know, with technology, and they think that they can, um, you know, master master the plague here. I don't know. Yeah, I. I mean, it's like, it's like that uh, that movie Elysium, right? Where they live on the space station, and none of none of the the people, you know, the dirty people on the ground are ever going to get to them, right? That's. I think that's their perspective. Mm-hmm. is they're insulated they're protected they're never going to have to deal with the things that they create the violence that they stir up um you you saw this with the summer of george right it uh you know they didn't go to the suburbs to the like here in, in minnesota they didn't go to edina and start raiding the you know very wealthy rich white liberal people right mm-hmm. they just you know looted stores in their own neighborhoods and and so i think they i i think i mean some of it is they're just very stupid people like they don't realize the pandora's box they've opened um, and it will one day come to, to bite them, but they don't think that far ahead. Right. Um, yeah. they are, they, they don't have very long time preference. I mean, they're all, most of them are childless. Like Tim Cook is a homosexual and like, they don't, they don't have kids. And so they're not thinking about 20, 30 years down the road, what, what things will look like. That's, that's a big, like you, you see this in like Europe, every single president and prime minister of Europe, uh, doesn't have children. Almost all of them. Mm-hmm. They don't have any children at all. Um, and so it's like, that's interesting. You have people with no stake in the future that are that are setting the course for your nation. Um, right. And so that's that. You know, that's a big part of it. And I, mean, I think too, like you, you see this, um, like the anti-whiteness. It has reached a a a totally new level. There was the report. I think it was Bloomberg had this you know, infographic about the top you know one hundred S and P one hundred companies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they hired 300,000 people since, tw- since the summer of George and 6% of them are white, even though currently right. the population in the United States is 75% white. And- yeah. And they, and they, and they were 6% white after they had made these pledges to hire more colored people. So this is very intentional. Yeah. This is very, you know, th- you know, the people the of color, CJ, be that- very careful, be very careful with the, what did uh, I say? You said you said colored. We, we're not allowed to say that. Uh, oh, I, I I can't keep up. I didn't I didn't POCs, update the latest. Man. I didn't update the latest NPC software. Yeah, that's right. That's not the it's it's not the uh, the appropriate nomenclature, man. Uh. It's, it's funny. It's it's funny. My kids read like like uh, like uh, Huckleberry Finn and stuff. And like they read it aloud oh. to practice, and I'm like, man, I, I want to make sure that nothing is being recorded here. Yeah, be this careful. Is, yeah, but um, it's anyways. Yeah, so th- those. But no, they made these are... pledges, like you said. You made they made these pledges up yeah. afterward, and exactly. it's no, they it's made the wild. pledge, and then you see the hiring statistics. 
Yeah. Right. Like it's, it's very intentional is, is the point. Like these, yeah, yeah, it's not just spontaneous. It's not a meritocracy. You know, it's, it's, uh, these are very, you know, politically oriented decisions. So no, it's, anyways, it's I think total sheer discrimination of, of white people. It's like, it, it, and like you, you think that, and I, I see that stuff and I see this stuff in, in the article and it's like, what, when you have these guys, these G3 guys who want to just be anti-racist and blah, blah, blah. Um, what do they say to this stuff? Like, if they're confronted they need, with it, they need the gospel. That's what they say. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like, yeah. Seriously, that, that, they don't have yeah. they don't have a political category. This yeah. is why two kingdom. This is why two kingdoms theology is so important. It gives us the tools to address temporal issues. It gives us the tools to address our relations with our fellow man. It's okay to think about these things. It doesn't have to be strictly related to the preaching of the gospel. We're allowed to have natural relations. We're allowed to fight for our people. We're allowed to recognize threats to our way of life. It's okay to do these things. Yeah, you can operate in in wisdom and in prudence, and you don't have to have a Bible verse to justify literally every single thing that you do. That's that's the that's how they operate too. Is uh, well, where is this biblically justified? And you it's said like, that where is it biblically your... justified to to have a border? You know, and it's like, well, exactly. we could, you know, we could extrapolate some things, but it's like, no, no, like this is, this is, this is what nations have done throughout all of their history. And it's, it's okay. Mm -hmm. It's okay to have a border. Yeah. It's okay to have your own people, you know, and, and this is your country. Uh, mm -hmm. And, and like, the, like it, it, it's, 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 it's insane to me that, that these people cannot, they cannot grapple with these issues ever, right? They mm -hmm. won't touch them. They won't, they'll just bury their heads in the sand. I pretend it's not happening. It's not happening. It's not happening. Uh, and, and they'll continue on. Like there's, there's not going to be some moment where they like wake up and they're like, Oh, well maybe there is like an anti-white race hate agenda and we should oppose it. Like they're not going to just wake up one day and just, and, and all of a sudden start to talk about it. Right. They're going mm -hmm. to continue to, to lead Christians, lead evangelical Christians, lead the lone bulwark um, into oblivion. Right? right. That's their role. Right. That's what they're chosen to do. Um, mm -hmm. And so on that note, I think we're, we won't be able to finish the, uh, no, the article today. We're only at the 50% mark. <laughs> so maybe we'll yeah. pick it up next week. Yeah. Um, round two next week. We'll see. But uh, yeah, any, any, any more stuff, any new Chronicles podcast, anything like that, that you want to uh, let people point people to do. Check uh, out the Chronicles podcast. Is there, there's a really good conversation tomorrow that I'm posting with Paul uh, on his, uh, the, the presidency post-war. And so we go from uh, Truman through uh, Nixon. I think we go through Nixon. So it's each 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 president. So yeah, it, it's gonna be fun. So anyways, that's yeah. that's all I got. And then um, that'll be great. Yeah, I'm done. And sweet. I I have an article like I you know this 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 article by Anton uh, you know got my got my noggin going. And so I'm going to write about about these issues. I'll reference this article uh, quite a bit in in what I'm writing right now. And it, and hopefully by the time this podcast is out, that article will be available on news.gab.com. And uh, and if you haven't yet, buy the book, buy book, buy book. You have to do it. Buy the book. Uh, BonifaceOption.com. Go go read it. Uh, review it. Tell me what you think. Um, but that's all I've got too. And so, uh, for us here, unfortunately not enough time for, we're all going to make it to join us. I don't even know if he's awake yet. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but no, I think I, I'm sure he is. 
I'm sure he is. He'll 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 listen. He'll be the first one to listen to this. I'm sure. Um, but uh, for all of us here, uh, thank you so much for listening. Please like, subscribe, share it uh, with people. Hopefully, you enjoy the conversation, and uh, stay dangerous. And we will see you next time. Mm-hmm.